0: for leading us in prayer in that way, and that is a powerful, powerful uh, thing. Uh, Dave and Barbara are great friends of mine, and uh, they uh, serve uh, in a, a significant field, uh, impacting unreached peoples uh, like crazy. And, uh, uh, man, that uh, northern Ghana is heavily Muslim area and a tough, tough region of the world uh, to live in, minister in, And I just thank God for individuals like the cobs and the guts that they have. And Yale, Virginia is a a, a tough spot to minister in uh, because you're trying to take the lives of young kids and shape them with the gospel and do something meaningful in their lives. And I want to tell you, I know one of the reasons why uh, I'm in ministry today are, are my years in church camp. Back in the day, uh, we were at Pocahontas State Park in uh, Old Dominion Christian Service Camp. And I remember uh, those men and women have built into my life, and uh, that is a powerful ministry. So uh, pray for our missionary partners, and and, uh, uh, it's a blessing to be able to share those uh, times with you today. Well, today what I want to do, I want to talk about the clarity of the call. And I want you to turn in your Bible to Mark, the first chapter, and uh, just several verses of Scripture in Mark chapter 1. We are studying uh, this year in the Gospel of Mark, and I hope you'll bring your Bible or your tablet, your phone every week, and it'll really help you a lot as we're following along, Uh, studying kind of section by section, verse by verse in the Gospel of Mark as we're trying to uh, find how it is that Jesus went about discipling people. Uh, Jesus discipled people so that they could make disciples of others, and that's uh, what our focus is uh, as we study through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, today I want to talk about the clarity of the choice, the clarity uh, of the choice, and I want to define what being a disciple is. Read with me Mark chapter 1, verse 14. It says, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. This was the good news that he shared. He said, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Therefore, repent and believe the good news. Good news has never changed. The kingdom of God is nearer today than it's ever been before. Jesus soon returned. And uh, I just want to say, if you're not ready for Jesus to come back, today's the day that you make a decision for Christ and get yourself ready. And if you know people that are not ready, today's the day for you to make the decision to say, do whatever it takes to share the gospel with them. Continue verse 16. It says, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And once they left their nets and they followed Jesus. Now, for the last two Sundays, I've been talking about discipleship, and I talked the first Sunday about the cost of discipleship, and it costs us everything if we're going to follow Jesus as a disciple. And last week, I talked about the terms of discipleship, that it is total surrender of our lives to what God wants to do in our lives. Today, what I want to do is to allow Jesus in a phrase that. Uh, we see in this section of Scripture to define for us exactly what a disciple is. Now, there are two reasons why I want to do this this morning. Uh, and, and the first reason is that unless there is clarity about exactly what a disciple of Jesus is, we lose our kingdom voice. The Apostle Peter writes in, the, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1, and he says, you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. King James Version says, You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. It seems to me that in our time today that Christians have lost their peculiarness because there's very little difference between Christians today and people that don't go to church today. While 80% of Americans claim to be Christians, there's very little difference between them and not their non-Christian neighbors. The divorce rates are almost identical. The domestic violence within church homes and not uh, non-church homes uh, is almost exactly the same. Drug use and alcohol abuse are almost identical in number uh, between Christians and non-Christians. Really, in statistics, the only thing, and this is shocking to me, the only thing that really stands out as being a major difference between Christians and non-Christians is this. This will shock you. It seems that Christians, especially evangelical conservative Christians, tend to be more prejudiced than their non-Christian friends. That's a shocker to me. And The truth of the matter is, because we focus so much on being Christian rather than what Jesus calls us to be, disciples, and there's a huge difference in that, it seems to me that we lose our kingdom voice because there's just nothing peculiar about us today because we don't really understand what being a disciple is. But there's another reason why I want to talk about what a disciple is, and define it clearly from what Jesus has to say. And that is because without understanding exactly what a disciple is, we lose our kingdom purpose. We lose our kingdom purpose, and we'll wind up being about just about everything rather than the clear focus that Jesus calls us to be. help you understand what I'm talking about, watch this video on the screen. And so, for those reasons, I believe the crankbait is the most versatile and fruitful lure you could possibly have. Well, that concludes this week's discussions. I want to thank everybody for coming out today. And I also want to thank our newest member, Andrew, for showing up and joining us today. Thank you. Okay, so does anybody have any announcements or any upcoming events or dates we need to know about? Oh, Oh, yeah. We got the bake sale coming up on the 23rd, and we use everybody's help for that. Also, our uh, group potluck is coming up on the 30th and it's going to be in the main hall. I will be bringing my mama's famous chili. That's right, that's right. 30th main hall potluck supper. Also, there's a great fly fishing seminar over in Monroe this weekend. Um, I'm going to be carpooling, so if anybody wants to go, just let me know. Tickets are five dollars and the speaker is supposed to be amazing. That's fantastic. If anybody wants to go with Rick, be sure and get with him after the, the meeting, all right? Anything else you can think of? Yeah, uh, i was what's our next fishing trip. You
1: know, I have a new reel
0: and I'm ready to try it out. Yeah, hey, what, what, what are you talking about? You know, going fishing. Okay, what about this Saturday? Oh, it's, it's supposed to be like really cold that day. Next Saturday? That's the day of the bake sale and we can't miss that. Two weeks maybe, like on a Thursday I might take off. I have classes like all day. How about this summer? Don't fish like swim south for the summer? I gotta get my dogs spayed. Also, I'm allergic to water. Helping my neighbor change all of his light bulbs. A high pollen count day. My mom had a really bad reaction one time, and I think it runs in the family. It's my dog's birthday. He's turning four. I just can't handle the sun. Do you even have your license? Do you have your permit? Could you tell me what's the difference? I got this blue card in the mail, and I'm not sure. I think it was a boating license, but I don't have a boat, so I don't know why they sent it to me. Has anyone here gone fishing ever? Huh? So, nobody has actually ever gone fishing in a fishing group here. <laughs> Thanks, guys. It's nice meeting y'all. Good luck. Huh? Oh, hey. We still need to elect Apollo chairman. You see, if there's not crystal clarity about what a disciple of Jesus Christ is, you lose your purpose, and anything can become your purpose, and you never quite get to fulfilling the purpose that Jesus gave for his church to fulfill. This morning what I want to do is look at just nine words that Jesus shares in, Matthew, in Mark chapter 1 and verse 17 where Jesus defines clearly what a disciple of, of Jesus is. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. First two words, follow me. Folks, I want you to understand that first the disciple of Jesus follows Jesus in their head. Everybody, point to your head, please, if you know where that part of your body is. A disciple of Jesus is someone who makes a conscious decision to follow Jesus in their head. Now, following Jesus is really about two different mental decisions that a person has to make if they're going to follow Jesus. Number one, it's about accepting who Jesus is and who we are accepting who Jesus is and who we are. Now Mark's account of this story is is amazingly brief. Uh, Matthew and Luke uh, extend the story quite a bit But in uh, Mark it just simply says in verse 15 That Jesus is going out He's preaching about the kingdom of God And he's saying uh, repent and believe the the good news It says that he's walking along by the lake And he sees Andrew and and, uh, his brother Simon And he tells them come follow me I'll make you fishers of men And it says in verse 18 that they got up They left their nets and immediately they followed Jesus Now the story repeats itself in verse 19 and 20 with two of their working associates, James and John. They too are called... Come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And immediately they get up and leave. The story is very, very brief. However, in the Gospel of Luke, there are some much-needed details added to the story. So, put a bookmarker here in Mark chapter one, and I want you to go with me to the book of Luke, the fifth chapter. The Gospel of Luke, the fifth chapter. It's just one book to the right. And in the fifth chapter, we read this story. Uh, actually, it's, it's an expansion of the story that we're studying here in. Mark chapter 1. Now, uh, Mark, uh, uh, Luke adds several very important details. Number one, we notice that as Jesus is teaching, he's teaching actually from Simon's boat, from the very boat that Simon owns. That's where Jesus is using, uh, what Jesus is using as a pulpit. Verse 1 says, One day, as Jesus was standing by the Lake of Galilee with the people crowding around him and listening to the word, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their uh, their nets. He got into one of the two boats, the one belonging to Simon Peter, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down... And he taught the people from the, boat, from the boat. I am so glad to be able to have a stool to be able to sit down on for a couple reasons. Number one, I have to do this twice on Sunday morning. And uh, I just, you know, I having to stand uh, for two hours doing this is, is uh, quite a thing. But it's a scriptural thing. Jesus sat down and he taught. I, I, I like that. You know, I, I just really do like that. But what I want you to notice is that Simon heard with his own ears the gospel. Wasn't somebody else translating to him. Simon heard Jesus speak the gospel himself with his own ears. Number one, number two, we notice that Simon submits to a counterintuitive request. Now remember, Simon was a fisherman. Jesus was a carpenter. He became a preacher. He had never been a fisherman as far as we know, but Jesus gives Simon and the crew there a challenge and they follow it. Even though it doesn't make sense in their minds, they do exactly what Jesus said, verse 4 through verse 7. It says, when, they had fin- when he had finished speaking... Jesus said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began uh, began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Number one, I want you to notice that Simon heard the message in his ears but I want you to notice that Simon saw with his own eyes the miraculous catch. Simon heard in his own ears the words of Jesus It wasn't that somebody else told him what Jesus did, but I want you to understand this, that Simon experienced in his own life, he saw with his own eyes what Jesus had done in his life. And folks, I want to tell you, if you're a disciple of Jesus and you're not seeing Jesus doing something in your life, you really don't have anything to talk about to someone else. And I would encourage you to go much deeper with Jesus because your discipleship is not at the level that it needs to be. If you're not seeing with your own eyes Jesus working actively in your own life. Does that make sense to you? Jesus saw, and Simon saw in his own eyes uh, what Jesus was doing. Now, number three, we notice that Simon comes and he falls at Jesus' feet. This was the response that Peter had uh, as a result of what had just taken place. Verse 8, it says, When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at the Lord's, uh, at Jesus' knees. And he said, Go away from me, Lord, because I'm a sinful person. Number one, Simon heard with his ears. Number two, he saw with his eyes. But number three, he accepts in his mind exactly who he is And what is that? He's a sinner. He says, Lord, go away from me. I'm a sinner. And he sees who Jesus is. Who's that? A savior. Someone who could change his life forever. So number one, Simon owned the boat that Jesus preached in. He heard Jesus speak with his own ears He submits to a counterintuitive request to go out into the deeper water and to fish even though they hadn't caught anything all night and they had a miraculous catch and, and as a result of that, he sees with his own eyes what Jesus could do in his own life. Number three, Simon falls at Jesus' knees or at his feet. He accepts in his own mind who he is and who Jesus is. And number four, he makes the mental choice to follow Jesus. Look what it says in verse 11. It says, so they pulled up uh, uh, their their nets, uh, uh, I'm sorry, so they pulled their boats up on the shore and they left everything and they followed Jesus. Folks, I want you to understand that number one, following Jesus as a disciple means accepting who he is and who you are. Do you know this morning who you are? I can tell you who you are. You're a sinner because I'm a sinner. Sinner saved by grace, yes, but sinner nonetheless. Did Peter uh, instantaneously become uh, a person that never sinned again as a result of meeting Jesus by the lake that day? No. He continued to sin his entire life. However, by the grace of God, those sins were covered through Jesus Christ. Following Jesus in your head means making a mental decision about two things. Number one, it means making a mental decision of accepting who you are and who Jesus is. Number two, following Jesus as a disciple with your head means obeying what Jesus says, no matter how difficult it is. Not just accepting who you are, but it means obeying what Jesus says to do, no matter how difficult it is. Now Simon and Peter, uh, Simon, Peter, and Andrew, James, and John, the Bible says in verse 11, pulled their boats up on the shore and they left everything, everything, and they followed Jesus. John Piper talks about this section of Scripture and he says, when Jesus commanded these fishermen to follow him, Their obedience was a concrete physical act of putting their feet on the ground and walking behind Jesus. Now what does it mean to obey Jesus and what exactly should we obey Jesus in? Well, back up with me, if you would, to the last chapter of the book of Matthew, and there Jesus, in Matthew 28, uh, we call it the Great Commission, Jesus describes not only what it means to obey him, but also the means of allowing that to happen in our life. Not just what uh, we need to obey, but also the means of obeying him. Now, this is a great commission. I'll read the whole thing. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth, this verse 18, all authority in, uh, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, I want you to go and I want you to make disciples of all nations. That's the challenge to us of the church. Go make disciples, not just here in our neighborhood, but of all nations, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And watch verse 20. And teaching them to... Obey. Everybody say the word obey out loud, real loud. Obey. Teaching them to obey, what? Everything, everything I've commanded you. Now Jesus does not say, and one would think, uh, observing the church over a period of time, that what Jesus says is, I want you to teach them everything I've told you. Because most of the time when we gather together in church, it's just simply about uh, sharing information, teaching you what Jesus said about things. But that's not what Jesus says at all. What does Jesus specifically say, huh? He says, I want you to teach them to what? To obey. Teach them to obey everything I've taught you. Now, he gives the uh, means of that occurring. This is remarkable to me. He says, notice this, he says, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Teaching. The Bible says in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, that God is pleased through the foolishness of preaching or teaching to save people. And that's a remarkable statement. That God has chosen this task of teaching as his means by which. People will learn how to obey him. You know, we have made the ministry what preachers are supposed to do into just about everything in the 20th century church in America except for teaching. And we want our our preachers to be great executives. We want them to be visionaries. We want them to uh, manage the staff and the church and all of those sorts of things. And we have ignored as a result of that the most important job that I or any preacher has. And you know what it is? It's this teaching, this preaching role. Folks, I got to tell you, I believe it's time for the church in America, uh, America to get back to what the Bible says the role of the preacher ought to be. You remember in Acts chapter 6 and verse 4 they're describing all kinds of tasks that need to be done in the church and the apostle said, y'all find some people to do all of those things in the church but as for us, we're going to give our attention to the ministry of the word and to prayer. I've got to ask you this question. With all of our doing and organizing and all of that stuff in the American church, are we making more or less disciples for Jesus Christ today? I think less. I think less Jesus says your job preacher is to be a teacher of all the commandments that I have and as you do that you'll make disciples to follow friends the number one attribute of, of a disciple of Jesus is, is to make a mental number one to make a mental acceptance of who you are you're a sinner Jesus is a Savior and number two the mental uh, decision to uh, uh, obey the commandments of Jesus. I just want to ask you this morning, would you accept today, I don't care who you are, would you accept today that you are a sinner? Because folks, I want to tell you something, if you will not accept the fact that you are a sinner, there's no way you're going to become a disciple of Jesus. And then, would you step up to the plate and begin obeying the commandments of Jesus? Now, guys, I want to uh, just speak directly to you guys here. We've got a lot of ladies signed up for the Winter Bible Study, we don't have too many guys. We've got a handful of guys, but not enough. It's about follow me. David Platt's going to be our teacher. It's going to be about... Following Jesus as a disciple of Jesus. And, and, and man, I want to tell you something. You need to be part of that. It's about a six- or seven-week study. It starts uh, tomorrow night. And I just want to encourage you guys to take, set aside six or seven weeks to learn what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It will change your life. Powerful teaching. It will help you understand what being a disciple is. Now, I want you to go back with me to the Gospel of Mark, and I want to notice the second statement, second part of the definition of being a a disciple of Jesus. We already have two words, follow me. And uh, Jesus said, uh, follow me. And that means following Jesus uh, with our what? With our what? Our head. Point to your head. Everybody point to your head. Following Jesus with your head. Now, Jesus goes on in this section of Scripture. He says, you follow me and I will make you. A disciple is a person who is being changed in his heart or changed in her heart. Number one, a disciple is someone uh, that's following Jesus in their what? what? You aren't convincing me you're getting this. In their what? Huh? Yeah, I want to tell you something, I preached the same sermon to a group of uh, Spanish-speaking folks in San Pedro Sula, Honduras, and they didn't have any trouble following this. Man, when I said, uh, where are you supposed to follow Jesus? Everybody would point to their what? Uh, point to their what? Uh, about half of you did. All right, uh, following Jesus is about following Jesus in their head. Number two, it's about being changed by Jesus in your what? Point to your heart. To your heart, all right? And uh, that's what it means. The word make means to fashion, to build, or to construct. Now, I want to tell you something. There are some things about me that drive you guys uh, crazy, about me that drive y'all crazy. I I, I just know that. There, There are some parts of me that drive me crazy. There are things about me that I don't like, but this is what I want you to understand. God isn't done making me yet, all right? Can I get an amen on that? And that ought to give you hope because God's not done making and constructing and changing you either. And that must happen in your heart. Jen Putman says that too many Christians assume that discipleship is merely the transfer of information leading to behavior modification. He says, instead, discipleship involves the work of the Holy Spirit in the heart of the disciple through the word of God with the people of God. Now, there are two words that describe the Holy Spirit's work and the heart of a disciple. And I want you to leave, put a bookmarker here, Mark, or we're going to come back, and I want to give you these two words. Write them down. The first word is the word pruning, John 15, 1 and 2, pruning. John 15, 1 and 2. And the other word is the word transformation, transformation. And I'll give you a couple passages of Scripture about that in just a moment. Number one, turn with me, if you would, to the Gospel of John. Leave a bookmarker here, in Mark. We're going to come back. Go to John chapter 15, my wife's favorite chapter in the Bible. And here it talks about pruning in verse 1 and 2 of John 15. Everybody turn there and look up at me when you got it found. All right, John chapter 15 and verse 1 and 2, all right? Very good. A lot of you got it, so let's go ahead and read together. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is a gardener, and He prunes or cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit He prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Folks, I want you to understand that following God in obedience is not a natural behavior. It's not a natural behavior. Naturally, you will not choose the road to follow God and become a disciple of Jesus Christ. By nature, you will choose a road that everybody else is choosing, and it leads away from God's nature and a transformation uh, in your life. And so obeying God in your life is not a natural behavior. It wasn't for, it isn't for us, and it wasn't even for Jesus. Write down Hebrews 5, 7, and 8. This is a powerful section of Scripture. It says there, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petition with loud cries and tears. And although Jesus was God's son, watch this, he learned obedience from what he suffered. I got to ask you: Are you better than Jesus? If it took suffering for Jesus to obey God, folks, I want you to understand that you will not get there in any other way yourself. You're going to be pruned, unless uh, and the useless part of your life is going to be cut off and thrown into the fire, and the part of your life that is productive and useful is going to be trimmed up and pruned so it can be even more productive. The Holy Spirit will use all kinds of people and all kinds of circumstance and all kinds of loss in your life and all kinds of failure to prune your life. I want to tell you something, pruning that God does in our lives is never an easy task. It always hurts. But folks, I want to tell you, don't fight against this vital work of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you do, you will never move past where you are right now as a disciple of Jesus. It just will not happen. I will make you. A disciple is being changed by Jesus in the heart. The first part of that, the Spirit's work in our lives, uh, is the idea of pruning. The second is the idea of transformation. Now I want you to go back with me one book to the Gospel of Luke. There are two uh, sections of Scripture that I want you to look at. Find with me Luke chapter 9. uh, and uh, Luke chapter 9 and uh, stick a finger there, Luke chapter 9, and then once you've gotten that, I want you to find also 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, I, I have finally found something that doesn't work as well on a tablet or a phone. That's finding two passages of Scripture at once. So if you have a tablet or a phone, I apologize to you, uh, but if not, find these two sections of Scripture. Uh, uh, first of all, uh, I want you to find uh, uh, John chapter 9. John chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. I apologize. Luke chapter 9 and verse 28. Luke chapter 9 and verse 28. <clears throat> Got it? Luke 9, 28. It says about eight days later, after James uh, had said this, he took Jesus took Peter, John, and James with him, and he went up on a mountain to pray. Notice that. And as he was praying the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning and two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus and they spoke about his departure which was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. And Peter and his companions were sleepy but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory. Now go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, and I want you to see the impact that the Holy Spirit wants to have in your life. Remember Jesus' transformation. He was changed uh, into a glorious uh, figure. But in verse 17 and 18 of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, read what it says. It says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory... Are being transformed into the into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and 29 says, We all know, we know that in all things God works together for the good of those who have been called according to his purpose, that they may be conformed into the likeness of his son. Folks, I want you to understand. That God's work in you, if you're a Christian, if you're a disciple of Jesus, God's work in you is not about making you comfortable or happy or, or just having a wonderful life, although all of those things will come. I want you to understand that God's work in you as a disciple of Jesus is to change you into the likeness of Jesus. Can I get an amen on that? God doesn't want you going to heaven looking the same way you are now. God wants you transformed day after day after day to look and act and be more like Jesus. And that work takes place, when, uh, uh, takes place in one place, and that is in your heart. Why? Because the Bible says, Proverbs 4.23, that your heart is the wellspring of your life. Unless your heart is transformed and changed, Your life will not change, not one iota. A disciple of Jesus is someone who is following Jesus, everybody do it, in their what? In their head. A disciple of Jesus is someone who is being changed by Jesus, everybody do it, in their what? In their heart. One last uh, uh, use of your hands. A disciple of Jesus is someone who fishes for Jesus with their, put your hands out, with their hands, with their hands. Fishers of men are the, is the last three words that I want you to notice in Mark chapter 1. In Mark chapter 1, verse 17, nine words that describe, define clearly what a disciple of Jesus is. First two words, follow me. Next four words, I will make you. The last three words are fishers of men. Now I want you to understand, I, I wasn't exactly sure what this phrase was all about. Was Jesus simply choosing to use this phrase because he was in uh, the, the the presence of a, of a group of fishermen. And so because he was in a group of fishermen, he just used their lifestyle, their activity, and he said, you've been fishermen for fish, now I want you to fish for people. Uh, was it just because he was around fishermen that Jesus called them to fish uh, with their hands for people? And I thought that was probably the case until I went back and I saw what the Old Testament has to say about God being a fisher of people. In Old Testament prophecy, at least six different times, God is called a fisher of people. Now, in each one of those times, it's talking about judgment. God is catching people to judge them for their sinful action. I'll give you one example. In the book of Ezekiel, the, uh, the uh, 29th chapter in verse 4 through 6, God says to King Pharaoh, listen, He says, Pharaoh, I am against you. Now, that's a bad, bad thing for God to be against you. Would you agree with that? But he says, I am against you. Watch what he says. He says, Pharaoh, I am going to put hooks in your jaws and I am going to pull you from the river that you think you have created, the river River Nile, so that you will know that I am the Lord. The Old Testament prophets oftentimes, about six different times, refer to God as being a fisher of men, but it also describes Satan as being a fisher of men as well, but not a fisherman uh, uh, for judgment or to help them change their lives, but to lead them to destruction. Habakkuk chapter 1 in verse 14 to 17, listen to what it says. It says, God has made men like the fish of the sea that have no ruler." But the wicked foe, that's Satan, the wicked foe pulls them up with hooks and catches them in his net to destroy nations without mercy. Folks, I want you to understand that Jesus called to the first of disciples in his uh, last three words, calling them to be fishers of men, is none other than asking people to join him in his eternal mission and purpose. And that mission and purpose is to snatch lost people who are already caught in Satan's net and he's dragging their lives into hell itself with pleasure on his part. And our job is to come alongside God with other disciples and catch those people in the net of the gospel and to give them the opportunity to know who Jesus is in their own lives. Well, folks, we're coming to a time of communion. I want you to understand that communion is totally about the Lord's net that caught you one day. I remember very well the night that I was caught in God's net and I surrendered my life to Christ. I talked about that last Sunday. But I want you to realize that if you're a Christian, you're here today, you're a disciple of Jesus, that you've been caught in that gospel net too. As we gather together around the Lord's table, the men are are, are moving into place, the band's moving into place, I just want you to say thank you to God for uh, the day or night or time or season that you were caught in uh, the net of the gospel, and uh, to eat the bread and to drink the cup of it as it's passed, just to remember what God did for you on the cross through Jesus Christ. Let's bow and pray together this morning. Father God, you have clearly defined for us what a disciple of Jesus Christ is. Not an easy road, Lord. It's a difficult path and road to follow because it means uh, having to leave behind many things to be able to take up uh, a brand new life and a brand new direction for our lives. Father, I would just pray that you would uh, cause individuals here as they are uh, receiving communion, Lord to contemplate their followingness of Jesus or lack of it. Father, I pray that you would help them to consider uh, the change that is being brought about in their heart through the Holy Spirit or the lack of it. And I pray, Father, that you would help them to look at their hands and see uh, the fish that they are catching, the people that they are catching for Jesus Christ or the lack of them. Father, thank you for this time to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. And bless us as we receive the Lord's Supper today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.